Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fighting the Void. Uh, me, Ginger, here again to uh, discuss whatever it is that's going out in the world, whatever it is we can do to combat the uh, creeping nihilism that seems to be threatening to tear down society, hence the void that we're busily fighting against. And with me, as always, is my uh, internet sister, Crystal. Hello. And joining us today to talk about uh, the rise of cultural Marxism and its uh, its encroachment on many of the Christian churches is Jeff Dornick of the GK Podcast Network. Hey there, Re really glad to be involved with this. It's, um, I've, I've been looking forward to you know joining you guys and being able to chat. So I'm thanks yeah, for having me here. on. Same here. This should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, be a couple hours ago, before uh, before this, you know, part of fighting the vote, it's not just all talking about politics or 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 culture and everything. Sometimes it's doing stuff, right? So, you know, I've been working with my two oldest kids and we've been getting ready to go out and do a massive backpacking trip. We're going to be hitting the Appalachians here in just a couple of weeks and it's going to be awesome. So we did a training walk this afternoon and we were out for two and a half, almost three hours, you know, so it was the first time we actually put on our actual backpacks and went, went for a long walk with them since last summer when we did a like a like a two and a half day backpacking trip and we did like six and a half miles out there and got some strange looks from, from people who were like um why are you walking around with a giant backpack on your back and trekking poles <laughs> and we're, we're like walking down in the direction towards we're walking down in the direction towards the beach so we're definitely not dressed appropriately at all for the direction we're headed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that would definitely seem odd. Yeah, especially considering y'all are gingers, so it makes people, especially suspicious that you're about to steal souls of everyone in mass. Just the fact that we're even headed in the direction of the beach, since we're gingers, <laughs> is just wrong to begin with. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> like, 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 what are you, what are you guys planning to do? Steal some souls and get sunburned? Like you're gonna end up looking like a lobster. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna wind up looking really, really horrible by the time by the time we're done with it. But I was happy. I didn't realize that it was six and a half miles till I got home, and I actually checked on my phone, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it was that that far?" Because I was starting to get worried because one of my kids was having a really hard time keeping up on the way back. It was like we we stopped and we got and, and we got a couple of milkshakes as we were going at, at, at the turnaround point, and. Instead of giving it, instead of giving him energy, it like sapped it. It was like he was gone. Oh no! <laughs> All of a sudden, the legs like turned to jelly, and I'm like, dude, come on! <laughs> I was starting to be like, I don't know, is this kid gonna be able to handle it? Then I checked on the phone. I was like, oh, six and a half miles. Yeah, we're good because we'll have all day to 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 do our hike instead of just like two and a half, three hours. So I think we're gonna be okay. <laughs> so. That little bit aside, uh, Jeff, you have got one. You've got this. You got this big podcast network, which includes your own podcast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it, go ahead. Yeah. So, what? Um, first, what? Um, what is the GK Podcast Network? What? What do you discuss on it? And how many? Since it's a network, obviously, it's more than one podcast. How many people do you got on there? And, um. I don't know, lay it out for us. Yeah, for sure. So so basically all of this, all of this really started. So I used to be on Brandon House's network, uh, Worldview Weekend Radio. Okay. Um, and then after a period of time, and there and there was, you know, some controversy, which I never find myself a part of controversy. Uh, but there was some controversy. And and so basically I was like, you know what, I would rather if people are gonna be giving us heat, I'd I would rather take the heat for myself and not let somebody else take the heat for me. So I'm okay. like, okay, so. I'm gonna go out and do my own thing. So I'm not, I'm not going to, so that, that way I'm responsible for me. Um, and so basically what we, so I started it out by having my first podcast conversations with Jeff, which is basically just me and a guest. And we just talk for sometimes anywhere from an hour to two hours. And we just talk until we feel like, okay, we covered what we want to cover and just kind of have good conversations. And cause I feel like that's missing a lot in, in society right now is just being able to converse, interact, yeah. have differing opinions, debate, disagree, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and so then it, it kind of evolved and I um, 
I started bringing on more contributors that, are, that started writing blogs on the website. And then I'm like, let's just full on make this a podcast network. So then I connected with uh, my buddy Sam Jones and his co-host to bring on their podcast, the Shining Light podcast. Um, and then I've got a few other guys that are going to be coming on within the next uh, two months or so. And basically what we do is we just look at the world from a Christian worldview mm-hmm. and just kind of discuss issues, sometimes politics, sometimes theology, sometimes whatever it is. And it's just, you know, some guys with some perspe- with some perspectives and we're okay with disagreeing with each other. That Okay. Very cool. How many, now how many uh, podcasts are part of it? Did you say? So right now we've got, so right now it's three podcasts. I, I have two myself. I've got one other with Sam and Patrick, and then uh, we're bringing on about two or three more in the next, uh, in the next couple of months. So. Very cool. All right. Sorry. I hit, I hit the uh, mute button there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking and you're probably not hearing me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, also as part, uh, you had another side project going, while managing all these different podcasts and network and doing your one to two hour interviews. Uh, this new book that's coming out. Now I found out about it from uh, Paige Rogers, who we've had on the show multiple times, and I I know I just following both of you on Twitter. I know you guys interact a lot on Twitter, getting into some of those controversies that you mentioned. And, (laughs) and uh, uh, so it's social injustice is the name of the book, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. Now social injustice. What, what do you mean by that? Sure. So, so basically, um, you know, more up to, up until a couple of years ago, this was a movement. Social justice was a movement that was primarily going on, uh, within like politics and that sort of thing. Um, then 2016 happened, Donald Trump became president. And for whatever reason, that infiltrated into the church, into Christianity, into the mm-hmm. evangelical church. Uh, and some of the main players within the social justice movement are uh, organizations like the Gospel Coalition, Tim Keller, kind of some big names within, especially the reformed mm-hmm. camp. Okay. And and so, you know, they're, they're promoting a lot of the progressive ideals that we're seeing in mainstream politics. You know, they're almost parroting word for word guys like Bernie Sanders, AOC, people like that. And we're just like, how did this come into Christianity? So well, first yeah. thing I can say is welcome to my world because <laughs> because uh, I'm because I'm Catholic. And I remember discussing years ago with my brother and a friend of his, and a friend of his talking about how the basically talking about some of the various we call them the social justice uh freaks that seem to be in just about every parish Mm -hmm. and the same sort of thing um i'm sure you're familiar with the concept of liberation theology this is something we've been fighting for a very long time uh and which is particularly interesting and frustrating because Commun- socialism slash communism is the only political system that has actually been officially condemned by the Catholic Church, <laughs> and yet it's the one that um, that Catholics seem to be most prone to to, to want to go to. If they're if they're not if they're going to get away from Western democracy, it's they're um, they're most likely to head towards that direction. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's like really you picked the one. <laughs> so I, so I totally understand uh, where you're coming from as far as that goes. Like just kind of waking up one morning and being like, "Wait a minute." Well, what? Well, what was what was what was really interesting was that yeah. I want to say about maybe ten years ago or so mm-hmm. there there was the movement within the evangelical church called the Emerging Church, and that was okay, like yep. led guys like Brian uh, Brian McLaren. I know Mark Driscoll was a part of that for a while. Mm-hmm. Rob Bell. Within evangelicalism, those guys were kind of seen as the fringe. It's like it's almost like they were so far left. It was like, are they really Christian at all? And and so for for at that point, it was kind of like, okay, they're way over there. Let's condemn them. But it's like they're not infiltrating our churches. It's like they're starting their right. own way over there. Whereas now, Tim Keller, who was is kind of the link between the Gospel Coalition and uh, the Emerging Church he started the gospel coalition and then all the mainstream players all joined forces. And then we're, and then we're, everybody's looking at it. We're just like, how, where's the discernment? Where is this uh, being able to figure out what's truth? Because you guys are partnering with the social justice. I call him the godfather of social justice, Tim Keller. Uh-huh. And it's, and it's just like it, it, to me, it's just nuts that you have these guys that you have the Bible, 
You've got, you know, your conservative ideology. And then all of a sudden now you're, you're embracing progressive political activism within the church. And it just mm -hmm. makes no sense to me at all. Right. Now you talk now before we go any further, I want to make sure we define our terms a little bit. When we talk about social justice, especially when we talk about it in a negative sense, what mm -hmm. are we talking about? Yeah, of course. And so basically what, what it, what it ends up, what this really comes down to is it's creating multiple classes of people where you have oppressors and victims. Mm -hmm. And, and so basically, basically you can, you can look at it, whether it's uh, dealing with uh, race issues, whether it's dealing with immigration issues, whether it's dealing with wealth, uh, income inequality, you know, that sort of thing there, basically what it's doing is it's saying that your problems are caused by somebody else. Right. And that you are the victim of an oppressor that's coming after you. And they may not even realize it, that they're mm -hmm. actually oppressing you because it has absolutely nothing to do with their actions. It has no nothing to do with their thought process. It's the fact that you let, you may be a white male oppressing even a white female or a minority female, or right. there's this hierarchy of people. And then if you're up here, then you're going to be oppressing somebody down here. And it's just, it's, it, again, it's one of the, I keep saying it over and over, but it's just, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> so we're kind of talking about a combination of, when, we, when we're talking about social justice, we're talking about a combination of Marxist class warfare and modern intersectionality. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. And I wanted to clear that up because I think there is a legitimate use of the term. Yeah. And it's that, but that's just essentially promoting the idea of, Hey, help a brother out, man. <laughs> you know or, or or actual justice like actual justice yeah, is yeah. a legitimate thing yes actually you, you would think so <laughs> you would think we would still be able to do legitimate justice but eh. yeah and yeah as soon as you put that word social in front of it it does tend to promote the idea of uh collect of a collectivist notion that uh, yeah, you do. You do get an idea where it's all where it becomes a group thing, you know. Yeah. Whether it's one group, yeah, the one group oppressing the other, and that sort of thing, or it's like we have to get all of society on the same page, whether they like it or not, <laughs> to do this thing that I've decided is justice. And that's usually where you run into trouble when it goes from, hey, promoting the idea of these guys over here, you know what, they've got a raw deal, we should probably do something to help them out to saying, okay, we're going to use the political system to force everybody <laughs> to do it. Yeah, but, but but the other side of it, too, is that when you create these different groups mm -hmm. of people that are, you know, you have an oppressor mm -hmm. and a pressee, you know, you've got yeah. uh, an oppressor and a victim, what it's really doing is it, yeah. to a certain degree, it's demotivating mm -hmm. the people that feel like they're victims. To where yeah. they no longer have to take responsibility for either their actions or the, their lack of wealth or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, it, to me, you should be motivating people. Okay, let's lift you up out of the lower class. Let's get you into the middle class. As opposed to saying, you're down here because this rich guy that, that's the CEO of this company took all your money. And it's like, right. does that even logically make sense? <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's where the issue comes in of what we're calling social justice, of it actually... Uh, hindering issues that legitimately need justice, you know, applied to them. Like a yep. example I see sometimes brought up that's actually accurate is, uh, for example, with like the Me Too movement and all those movements about like, oh, these are the uh, usually inaccurate statistics of women who are affected by sexual assault, domestic abuse, mm -hmm. violence, rape, and it's like. The, the, the social justice that hinders the legitimate cases, it hinders, you know, the male victims of sexual abuse and violence and whatnot. It hinders, uh, I've seen some people bring up the fact that no one talks about how in the LGBTQ community, there's a high level of domestic violence in lesbian couples. <laughs> no one talks about that because they're focused on like, Man bad, they rape. Woman good, they victim. It's like that's not how it works, people. We're we're ignoring actual things that need to be addressed because we're too busy telling you, no, stop it. You're 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 creating things that aren't there. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's one of those it's one of those things where again, it's it's like you have these. 
because of the different classes, it's like a man can do no right and a woman can, and a woman can do no wrong. Right. And especially when you look at things like Me Too, we've seen so many issues of discrepancies of, and, and also the other side of it too, when it comes to Me Too, is everybody who's ever experienced any negative thing between a man and a woman, all of a sudden now right. I feel like it devalues actual abuse. It devalues it rape. Because all of a sudden now it's like, yeah, this guy hit on me and I didn't want it. And all of a sudden everything is seen as equal to rape. And it's like yeah. Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein is a horrible, awful man, but that's not the same as a guy who, you know, is trying to flirt with flirt with a girl and she didn't want it. And so it's that devalues what Harvey Weinstein did because everything is seen as the same. Exactly. Yeah. This weird, this weird leveling mentality of the left that I just, it, it ultimately makes no sense. But then again, so bottom line, social justice, like most things on the left, is actually the opposite of, yeah. of, of what the words imply. It is neither social nor is it justice. So uh, back to the book. Uh, now, you wrote this or, or you, you pulled this together because this uh, has a number of contributors to it. Yes. Uh, you pulled this together as a response as like you said, to the uh, to the progressive mindset starting to infiltrate uh, the the especially the various uh, Protestant churches, and uh, but it wasn't just that. It seems like uh, I was looking a little bit on the website. It seems like it's also a bit of a response to the fact that there was this Dallas statement mm -hmm. that was supposed to be like, okay, the line in the sand against this very infiltration that. Has well, let's just say it's about as effective as our border. <laughs> that's a good. That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it, comparing it that way, but but so so basically, for people that don't know, so there there was the Dallas statement, or it's also known as the statement on social justice, and um, it was spearheaded by a lot of guys in the reform community, uh, especially guys within the John MacArthur crowd and that sort of thing. And it was it was supposed to be the response to social justice, and it was basically going to itemize and lay out. Okay, this is where we disagree with social justice. It explains why and how we believe it compromises the gospel and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And in theory, it 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 was a good idea. Like it was definitely something that should have been done. Mm -hmm. The problem with it is that they they drew this line in the sand and said social justice is wrong now the problem is usually when these statements come out and there's been several statements in the past one was a you know there's been some about marriage mm -hmm. there's been some about right. um ecumenicalism there's been some about all the all these sign one of these statements and then it's it's th this is important enough for us to draw the line in the sand and we're not going to partner with you in ministry we're not going to partner with you in uh, whatever projects we're doing, if we disagree on this because we feel that this is so important. Yeah. The problem is that they drew them in the sand and then, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, well, nothing changed. It's like, so what was the point of, of writing that? So for example, there was uh, the Shepherds Conference, which happens every year. It's a pastor's conference at uh, John MacArthur's church out here in California. Okay. And everybody was really surprised that he still invited some pastors to come speak at the conference that were pro-social justice, guys like Albert Moeller, Mark Dever, Ligon Duncan, people like that. And the concern is that that conference is, is designed for uh, the top pastors to train 6,000 or 5,000 pastors or however many pastors are there to then go back into their churches. So why would you invite people that disagree with you on something this vital and this important? And then from the stage, they did a Q&A session discussing social justice. And it was it was probably one of the most awkward hours that I've seen streamed. It was just like it was like hostility and nobody actually wanted to be honest about what they believed. And it was just you could tell there was so much tension there. And then John MacArthur gets up there, who's the main proponent of the social justice statement. And he goes, I'm going to fight error, but I'm not going to fight my friends essentially giving a pass because these guys are his friends oh. and a lot and a lot of people feel like he just completely undermined the social justice statement mm -hmm. and then seeing this unravel more and more and more from the guys that that wrote the statement 
they're just undermining it left and right. And you can kind of tell that they didn't really understand what they were getting themselves into when they wrote this statement. It's like, it was almost like they were hurried. They didn't really get a firm grasp on how to actually deal with this. And they're giving passes to people. And that was kind of, I was like, okay, somebody's got to do something because these guys are just completely failing at this basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, again, uh, <laughs> I can relate. It's like you get a really good sounding statement and then where's the follow through? What is it? Yeah. At, at the end yeah. of the day, what difference does the statement make? And yeah. So, but not only is the statement, the statement itself may be good. I, I assume it's, Assume the statement itself is relatively solid. <laughs> it, yeah, it's 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 de it's decently solid. I, I wish that it went into more detail mm -hmm. and explained, you know, in detail the the response. But overall, it's it, it's a pretty it's a pretty decent statement. The statement itself. But again, there's little um, there's little follow through, and the very crafters of it, as you said are undermining it and which of course mm -hmm. winds up introducing all kinds of confusion because if you've got somebody who with the name recognition of uh james MacArthur saying hey uh or is it is it james or john i i'm mike you i might uh, be getting john, my james john, john MacArthur. Yeah. James MacArthur. <laughs> yeah, john MacArthur. i'm getting my james yes. up. <laughs> exactly okay. easy to do <laughs> you, got, you got somebody with the with the uh name recognition of john MacArthur going, well, I'm not going to fight my friends. And then everybody's sitting in the pews, you know, Joe Sixpack sitting there. It's like, uh, well, my, my my friend over here, he does watches nothing but MSNBC and, and the Ellen DeGeneres show. I, I don't want to fight him. And, you know, and so it gets to be your, not, you're not just back to square one. You're worse than square one. Because now people heard the great statement and they kind of know what they should be going to, but they have zero direction on how to get there. And the example from up above is essentially, hey, you know what? Get together and have coffee every now and then. And that's that's about it. That's that's all you that's all you really need to do, baby, is have a have the occasional yeah. conversation and and that'll be that'll be good enough. And so it again, and then it introduces, okay, well, what is error? Exactly, because if you don't, if you never see them fighting air, because the air is coming from the dude's friends, what what do you do then? You know, for the guy sitting in the pew, what do you do? You're not giving an example to follow, and every, all the signals you're send, sending are at the best mixed. So yeah, so this is uh, social injustice is a response to this. that's meant to sort of. Uh, so what set, set the stage for a proper response to the uh, encroachment of progressivism? Well, yeah, yeah, and and, and I think the the really what when when I decided to really put together this book, yeah. um, John. So John MacArthur, in one of his early blog posts, he had written that social justice is the greatest threat to the gospel in his lifetime, and so a few years earlier. He mm -hmm. had had the Strange Fire Conference, which was him going up against the Word of Faith movement or the or the Extreme Charismatic movement, mm -hmm. because at that time he felt like that was the most the biggest threat to the gospel. Okay. And so when he, so back then, he full on separated from people. He's like, look, if they're teaching this, we can't partner with them in ministry because they're compromising the gospel. Huh? Here, it it was like this is an even greater threat, but we're not going to separate because it's my friends. And so that to me, I think set a really bad tone. Yeah. And so when, when you're looking at something like the God, when you're looking at something like the gospel, so like us within evangelicalism, we believe that salvation is by faith alone, has nothing to do with works. You can't earn it on your own. And God is saving us from our own sins. And by his death on the cross, and all we have to do is place our faith in him and then we'll be saved. Well, what's happening is a lot of these guys, they're twisting the gospel around to where Jesus is now saving us from oppression as opposed to saving us from our sins. And there's uh, a difference. And so it is a threat to the gospel. And you're getting full so liberation theology, man. That's exactly where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and, and yeah I'm, exactly. And I'm asking this question in honor of our a friend of the show, Nico, 
in honor of me. If technically, if you're a half Asian, half halfway, could could half of you be trying to oppress you? Hence, Jesus is trying to save you from yourself. <laughs> oh, jeez. You, 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 may, you may not know. Uh, that, that, that's the. You may not know Nico on Twitter, Jeff, uh, but she's uh, she's kind I don't of think uh, so. okay. She's um, a libertarian on Twitter, very uh, very active. It is always she's very like anti SJW, and is always talking about well, is my white half constantly oppressing my oppressing my Asian half? <laughs> so what what I I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I just don't know what to do. Yeah. So yes, as, as as Chris was putting it. So does that mean Jesus does still save me from myself? <laughs> Yeah, well, the funny thing is, so, so uh, one of the podcasts that I really like uh, watching and listening to that uh, outside of the whole Christian world is Dave Rubin, because he, mm -hmm. he has some great guests on there, great conversations, yeah. that sort of thing. So he was actually out here in California nearby. And so we actually went to his stand up show at, at the at the improv. Oh, and cool. part of his shtick during during the show was, OK, Raise your hand if you if you're the most oppressed person in the room. So it, then it became a contest within the room to figure out okay who is the most oppressed based off of either your race or your gender or your identity uh -huh. or whatever it was. So that that was actually pretty entertaining to try to figure out okay who's the most who's the most oppressed in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do have to wonder that who is, who is the most oppressed in just about any room. Uh, Matt Walsh, he just did a yeah. uh, thing on his last show. It's like so am I? He, he got injured doing something or another so since i'm a cripple do i now have intersectionality points do i have i jumped up the ladder <laughs> and he went through the whole thing and of course yeah. one, uh, one of the uh, one of his listeners sent in an email it's like no 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 you're a white you're a straight white male you can never move up the ladder at all unless you claim to be a woman in which case as walsh put it you rock it right up to the top <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all well, that, well that's a that that's a problem too Wait. go ahead no but but there's there's real there's real life like implications of this too because mm -hmm. because if, if you're looking at some of the articles that are coming out um even even now for colleges mm -hmm. uh i be, i believe i was reading an article where they're saying that with S, sat scores oh, that God, there's going to be a secret score that's going to be sent to the universities <laughs> that you as the test taker are not going to see only they'll see, and it'll be based off of your inter your intersectionality score. Yeah, and so there's real life implications of this. It's no longer just opinions and the way people treat you. This is like right. real life implications. Yeah, they're calling it uh, what was it, the social adversity score or something like that? Is is what the official the official name of yeah, it is? It's it's and crazy. It's it's like yeah, and, and yeah, it's it's intersectional affirmative action essentially. Because yeah, so, some people are saying it's a response to uh, the increasing push in some areas to get rid of affirmative action finally. And they're like, well, we're still going to do it. We're just going to call it this instead. <laughs> it's like, oh, you people never learn. Look, man, they're just trying to empty out the cry lockers. <laughs> they don't want the cry lockers anymore. They got to figure out the way to get rid of it somehow. Something. But as you as you say, Jeff, this is becoming an increasing issue uh, in 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 the in the Protestant world, and I'm and I'm starting to see it. Even though I mean I don't pay a ton of attention to what to what's going on there, um, I get frustrated enough with the politics of my own church. Thank you very much. And uh, but you know you, you can't help you can't help but notice. Like I was watching uh, Crowder the other day. And there was a story about how some church actually covered up the cross so that some Muslims could pray in the in the church during Ramadan. And then I got another, there was another one who sponsored a freaking drag queen, drag queen story hour. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me right now? It's like, what is going on? <laughs> it's like, it, if... Anything else? Well, obviously, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have numerous dis disagreements in certain areas. At least the evangelicals, I thought, you know, I'm like, at least you know, they're they're solid in what they believe. 
But now it's like, oh, you're getting the same mm -hmm. corrosive nonsense. And it seems to be operating extremely quickly. That's what's really interesting or dist distressing, I should say, is that this acid seems to be eating away very, very quickly. Now, that just may be because I'm on the outside looking in. It may, it's, I suppose it's entirely likely that it's actually been kind of eating away at the foundations for, oop, sorry, my headphones popped out uh, <laughs> for some time and I just don't see it. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. What would you read on that? Is this up coming out of nowhere and just really eating away very quickly or has this been building for a while and it's just now getting the attention it should have gotten five years ago? Um, honestly, I, th I think it's both to a certain degree. Okay. Um, I mean, we know that cult that cultural Marxism has been, has been growing and growing and growing for mm -hmm. decades and decades and de it's, it's been around for a long time, right? It's even been slowly infiltrating the Protestant world and evangelicalism, but it was always fringe. But then for whatever reason, over the last two or three years, it's just exploded within um, within the main, like Bible believing, Bible teaching, like Christian pastors, and I think mm -hmm. that that's that's what's kind of taken a lot of us by surprise is how quickly it's come into the guys who you used to think were the last line of defense against theological error. Like mm -hmm. you would think that these guys would know better than this, and I think that that's that's the concerning part about how quickly it's coming in. I mean, you you've got full on. SJW guys like Matt Chandler and David Platt and Tim Keller and uh, Tabidi, and I can never pronounce his last name, so I'm not even going to try. But these guys are like hardcore social justice and racial reparations and just, you know, the intersectionality. Huh. And it's like, how, I don't know. It's, it's, it really is to a certain degree kind of coming out of, coming out of nowhere, at least within our, our camp within evangelicalism. Okay. Now I see, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, comments on, on YouTube and, uh, you know, you got Tamara saying it's been building for a long time, perhaps bubbling below the surface. Well, like, okay. Now amongst the leadership seems to be coming out of nowhere. What about, uh, and you're going to have a much better read on this than, I, than, than I will, of course. What about like in the pews? Has this been mm -hmm. maybe, maybe festering amongst the congregations for some time and it's just, and it's just now reached the leadership. Sorry, so you you were you were kind of you kind of breaking oh, up. I'm starting sorry. to get kind of um, like a patchy uh, stuff, so I didn't quite hear the question. Okay, uh, you know maybe this has been has been festering amongst the uh, amongst the congregations for a while, and is only just now reaching the leadership. Honestly, I I think it, I think. It's almost the other way around okay. to a certain degree. And the reason why I say that is that most people that are in the pews don't even know that this is coming into the church. Like most people that are, what okay. I found is talking to people that are in the pews, they're shocked when they start hearing their pastor talking about social justice. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and they're normally okay. very opposed to it. It's the pastors that are, that are accepting it full on. And that, that's, I think, the surprising part. I, what I've found huh. when it comes to social justice is that the people in the pews way more educated on this than the people in the pulpit. And, and, and again, that's, that's the weird conundrum we're in as the church is I've, I've spoken to so many, so many people where they're like, what am I supposed to do because my pastor is you know, teaching about social justice or saying that because I'm white, I have to, be, I have to feel guilty that I'm oppressing right. a minority or whatever that is. But this is like a consistent thing. I, I, haven't, I haven't yet heard or spoken to a Christian where they're like, yeah, I'm a hard social justice guy. And my, my pastor is just not coming around. You know, it's, it's the full opposite <laughs> thing huh. of what you would expect. Okay, that is really interesting uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, one is, it begs the question, what's driving the pastors to, to go this direction? I mean, really, that makes very little sense. And also, you know, as somebody who would love one day to see uh, Christian reunification, 
I have a distinct feeling that this is going to lead to uh, further. It probably already is, and again, you'll have a better read on this than me. Uh, is that this is going to lead to a further splintering of Christendom, where all these evangelical churches now are, you know, your pe people in the pews are going to be rejecting whatever it is that the pastor is putting out from the social justice wing of whatever, and then, but they're going to have their own disagreements about, you know, about what about exactly what's right or what's wrong. So they're all going to there's going to be wind up one congregation is going to split off into four or five different ones with their own take on things. So I don't know. Is that something that you're, that you're starting to see happening or, or no? Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm fully seeing like that happening. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Just this, this whole, this whole thing. I just feel like right now. I, I just think people, people in the pews don't really know what to do okay. because it's like you have people where they're, they're going to the, they're going to these churches mm -hmm. and they've probably been, you know, a lot of them have been going there five, 10, 15, 20 years. And they've had right. the same pastor for this whole, for this whole entire time. And then there's, and then they're shocked and they're like, what do I do now? Like, am I, am I, am I supposed to leave? Am I supposed to confront my pastor? What do I do when my pastor doesn't yeah. change when he doesn't understand it, when he doesn't see it? And mm -hmm. that's, that's, I think it's putting everybody in a really bad position because they may yeah. agree with their pastor on n almost every other issue, but then he starts talking about white guilt <laughs> or he talks about, you know, we need to have open borders because of the gospel and how it's, it's hateful for us to turn people away at the borders because we want to be able to preach the gospel to them. I mean, there, there's so many different angles at this that I think it, it, it it allows the people it causes the people in the pews to be like what what am i supposed to do because this is this is this is coming in very quickly and i think what's really behind it mm -hmm. is there is this mentality of celebrity worship amongst the, especially the pastors mm -hmm. and so okay. what they do is they're yeah. learning by reading books they're not learning by reading the bible okay they're going to pastors conferences put on by their favorite pastors uh -huh. and then they're coming back with a theology from their favorite pastors and then teaching it in the church. And I think that that's how this has been able to spread so quickly is that if you have Tim Keller or John Piper, that's going to be speaking at a big pastors conference to 5,000, 10,000 pastors. I mean, they're, they're now impacting 5,000 or 10,000 different churches. I mean, that can spread very quickly. Okay. Okay. Indeed. So, and, um, and on the same topic of discussing what this issue is and how it's spreading and whatnot, uh, someone in the uh, live chat, uh, Ben, he's asking, seems like the social justice issue is only in American churches. Is it a global church problem? I would, I would say yes in general, um, but, for, but I think it's a little bit more specific to our, to here in the U.S. and then um, – some more of the the western more of the western society so like canada uk um certain certain groups within uh europe that sort of thing i yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's global in the sense of i don't think the same movement's happening in some of either third world countries or asia or things like that but for whatever reason within western society and i think a lot of it has to do with the marxists in general and the cultural Marxists. they're trying to take down capitalism Mm -hmm. And they're trying to they're trying to make it to where we are that one world government, one world currency you know, that, that we see in Revelation. And I think that this is part of how you do it is divide and conquer. And mm -hmm. if they can take down capitalism, yeah. then they can really uh, make it to where they can come in with the answer. And then we're all reliant upon them leading the government or leading the religion or whatever it is. Huh. Now, um, to, to answer the question uh, from the. Catholic perspective, uh, definitely an international issue. Um, again, for anybody who knows even a little bit about the uh, spread of Marxism throughout the world, you'll know that uh, liberation theology took hold in the Catholic Church in South America. That's where it really took hold, actually, more than anywhere else. And it has been mostly tamped down, has a very obvious threat, but it's also definitely morphed into the modern um, 
into the modern intersectionality issue that we're dealing with now. Um, and, and even like the, uh, the more socialist leaning people in the United States, it's not full on liberation theology, not yet. It hasn't, it hasn't gotten there yet, but it's, I would say it's trending in that direction. And they're definitely still fighting a lot of that basic mentality over in Europe. I think it's less of an issue, at least in the Catholic world in uh, Africa and in Asia, largely because in Africa the issue is more getting oh is more getting away from paganism, and in Asia it's like they're usually living in communist countries. They know what they don't like. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually kind of curious as to what the level of this issue is in places such as the UK and other countries in Europe, because if we look at other uh, areas, social justice is affecting. It's it seems to be almost hitting places like the UK even harder and developing and spreading even quicker. I mean, look at the whole, uh, for example, the gun control issue. The UK is banning, <laughs> they're, they're banning so many things that aren't even weapons. Like, 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 I don't know if, uh, I, I, I'm going to assume gender's You've seen it, but I don't know if you have, and I and I don't know if Jeff has that picture that went around from the UK of this uh, weapon cache. With a spoon. And one of them had a spoon and a butter knife. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I so love that. <laughs> hey, hey, they, they were they were being very thorough in in, in getting rid of weapons. So I, we yeah. got to give them a little bit of credit there. <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty I, much. Uh, a, it was pretty much a pile of kitchen utensils and a couple of ridiculous homemade things that were just I'm like I would rather take the kitchen knife into a fight thank you very much <laughs> it's like it's like it's like guys guys UK police you need to stop watching uh, uh um crap what's the name of that one uh Quentin Tarantino movie uh Oh, Magnificent Seven. You need to stop watching Magnificent Seven. Not everyone finds a way. Well, I, I don't know if there's a scene. Not everyone gets creative with their weapons, guys. Not everyone manages to find a way to use a spoon as a weapon. Well, 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 well again, you know, again, th this kind of comes back full circle back to this idea of oppressors and victims. So, mm -hmm. so what they're doing is they're trying to make it to where the gun manufacturers are the oppressors right we we are the victims of the nra and the gun manufacturers and what it's what it's doing is it's eliminating the personal responsibility of the gun owner the problem mm -hmm. is the gun owner and again we're dealing we have to deal with personal responsibility and i think that that's that's really what's missing in society and also now even within christianity mm -hmm. is yeah. We're responsible for our actions. I mean, any of us could use anything to injure somebody, kill somebody, you know, cause harm, whatever that is. It's not the weapon's fault. It's the person's fault. But again, when you're dealing with this victim mentality, you always look for who, what group of people can we blame all of this on? And it's really easy to blame the NRA and the gun manufacturers because they're a big, large entity and then it takes away the personal responsibility of you as the private citizen being uh, responsible in your gun gun ownership and how you you know carry and don't kill somebody. Yeah, and it's definitely something that's been lacking for a while. I mean, we look at even the smallest thing of like internet drama. Anytime anything happens, the person who is in fault, uh, who's at fault always try to find a way to put on someone else's shoulders, like the pro Jared stuff or the talking James Charles stuff. Things were said and done and the people who did lie and did do wrong is trying to manipulate it to where the person who isn't uh, lying and is telling the truth is in the wrong and putting it on them. Which can lead to anything as small as just another lie, or like things being faked, and and it, it just no one wants to acknowledge their faults. No one wants to take the blame for stuff. 
it, it's always someone else. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, Christianity is absolutely clear. It's like you gotta own up, take take responsibility for what you've done, and you've got to repent for you, and you worry about you know other person over there repenting for whatever he's got to repent for. But let him worry about that for the most part. Pray for him. But anyway, <laughs> God help uh, you, know, you. You worry. You worry about you. Plank plank out of your own eye. That sort of thing. <laughs> It's, it's like I've heard before. God helps those who help themselves. There's also that, too. Sure. <laughs> we can have, actually probably have a long discussion just on that statement, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but that's a, that's an entirely different show. Um, now, one of the things I've, I've noticed, Jeff, is that... Jeff, are you frozen? I you haven't blinked in like five minutes. <laughs> I think he might be frozen. I think Jeff is frozen. Son of a biscuit. All right. Let's see here. We're going to see if we can get Jeff back. And let's see here. Well, let's see here. While I'm working on trying to get Jeff back. Um. Ah, hey, hey there. I got I got disconnected. I don't know. I don't know what happened. So okay, good. All of a sudden, I noticed uh, I was going to you with a question. I'm like, Jeff, you haven't blinked <laughs> in like five minutes. I think <laughs> something's wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay. Yes, I'm I'm back. So all right, good ahead. deal. All right, now something that that I kind of just want to get your general opinion on is there is a wide backlash to the. Uh, to the whole social justice uh, movement. And it's interesting to me because it crosses a lot of lines. Uh, you find a lot of um, anti-SJWs amongst Catholics, amongst Protestants, amongst um, libertarians, conservatives, um, even amongst atheists, I've noticed, uh, agnostics. It crosses a lot of lines. And did, I, did we just lose Jeff again? No, we didn't. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Woo! All right, I got scared for a second. All right, so, so just the fact that the anti that the anti social justice uh, movement that there's this big backlash that crosses so many lines, I'm, it, I find this interesting, and it gives me a little bit of hope that we are going to come out on the other side of this. But what do you read on this? Like one, why, and two, is that potentially a good sign for the future, or is it? Or are we grasping at straws here? Well, I, I, I think I think it really comes down to there is a our our country is really divided mm. in ha in half. It's fifty fifty. But if you were to only look at the media, it you would think that it was ninety ten progressive. Does that oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and so I th I think that when it comes to it, even like social justice, there's half of the country that's for it. There's half of the country that's against it. And, and so you're having a lot of people that are responding to social justice and being opposed to it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. but the, thing that, the thing that I'm finding is that there's a lot of people that they just need to get educated, whether they're already opposed to it or even right. the people that are pro-social justice. What's interesting is that if you actually talk with them, mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll, they'll come around at least to a certain degree if you actually walk it through with them. Because deep down, everybody actually really does believe in personal responsibility. Right. A lot of times it's just not, I don't want to be personally responsible. But they want somebody else to be personally responsible. So if you kind of walk them through that a little bit, right. I think we could make some head some headway. And I think the other side is that we really do need to educate people. I, I think education is really the way to beat social justice. Because if you look at the history, you actually look at the logic and the rationale and, and that whole sort of thing. I think we could actually beat this movement, but if if all we do is we just keep pointing fingers and yelling at each other and doing the Twitter memes like <laughs> what is usually happening, I mm -hmm. it, it's just going right. to be a constant fifty fifty battle. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, because the issue is even in the side that's against social justice, there's a lot infighting within that group. I mean, you see it. You see it in all circles. I mean, you see it in the libertarian community. You see it in the anti-SJW community. You see it in this group. You see it in that group. There's so much infighting. It's kind of like, guys, can we... That That's what I'll say the, the SJW side has over the anti-SJW side is 
the SPAW side can actually band together to do something. The anti-SPAW side kind of struggles with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the anti-SGW world tends to be a little more individualistic and, yeah. and you know, and thinking for themselves and too very often people think thinking for themselves means thinking differently than everybody else. And it's not quite what that means. <laughs> right. But, but, but again, when you're, de when you're dealing with personal responsibility, yeah. again, that is a very individualistic ideology. Mm -hmm. yep. Whereas yeah. when you're looking at the, the SJW mentality and just their ideology and philosophy mm -hmm. and theology, it's all about groupthink. It's all about you being a part of this larger group. You are not an individual you're nothing more than whatever combination of victimhoods that you are. Right. And, and so when, when, when you begin to look at it, look at it like that, all of a sudden now, of course it makes sense that, that they're all linking arms. They'll defend each other to the death, yeah. to, the, to the death. Whereas with us, we'll have these philosophical arguments and kind of split hairs and getting in, getting into, get into debates, which I think we need. Right. But at the same time, there is a negative to that in the sense of, they're the other the other fifty percent the other side they're just linking arms and they'll just they're just keep trying to make more and more headway whereas with us we want to converse and debate and it takes longer for us to actually accomplish what we want to accomplish yeah 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 there there that is the downside uh, when you're fighting uh, a collectivist monolith because it's a collectivist monolith and it's a lot harder to fight against something that's coming at you all at once when it, or at least it seems harder. I think in the end, I think the, uh, well, I think the diversity will be our strength, to borrow a phrase. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's going to take some time to get there because we'll find new and different ways uh, to fight, to come out on the other side, to present our arguments and, well, frankly, demolish theirs. Uh, and one of the other things that, and this is slightly off topic, but... One of the things I've noticed and I find extremely fascinating, especially in libertarian world, and it's amongst like uh, Gen Zs and younger millennials, depending exactly on where you draw those lines. There's this kind of reverse engineering of traditional morality going on. Like uh, I've just noticed like just in, uh, in the Twitter space a lot, I notice a lot of people talking about um, the value of traditional uh, gender roles, and uh, they're not f full on to full um, a biblical understanding of sexuality, but there's a lot of discussion in that moves more in that general direction. Like at the very least, uh, you should be monogamous within a given relationship and everything. And I find that I find it extremely interesting that they're coming at it from a strictly, almost a strictly practical basis with very little at least overt spiritual component to it i just find this interesting i don't know if you've seen this at all jeff but it's something i've noticed again especially in the libertarian world where and um there's a lot of there's a strong pro-life movement amongst that world as well that i just find really interesting and it's something that gives me hope for the future like ah we're moving in this direction purely for practical reasons how much farther will we go <laughs> yeah well that, that's true and I, and, I, and I think in what's interesting is i i kind of find myself as a as an island a little bit within the evangelical world because i am i do find myself at least politically more libertarian and okay. i and i and i always have to dis clarify that there mm -hmm. that there is a difference between being like more of a social libertarian and philosophical libertarian versus a political libertarian Mm -hmm. And be, because there is this mentality within libertarianism, which I think can tend to go a little bit more anarchist and more right. like, just, let's just get the government out of everything. And there's no morals, there's no right and wrong and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas I think for me, I would rather just have a small government and then allow my faith to dictate the morals and my decision making and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but I, But I also do think to a certain degree where Christians are failing when it comes to the pro-life movement is that we're, we're participating in the public discourse and the public debate, but we're mm -hmm. using theological arguments. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, think, I think to a certain degree, we can do that. And I think we should do that because the Bible is, our, is always our root. And I think it's really important that we're always going back to God's word. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're not going to convince an atheist no. to be pro-life 
using mm-hmm. only scripture. And I think that what, what I usually say is that the Bible, the Bible is true. Mm-hmm. So we know that. So then everything in the world around us should support what the Bible says because the Bible is true. And so we should be able to use rational, logical arguments to make our case. And that's where I think the libertarians and some of these even non-Christians and people that don't believe in the Bible can actually Mm -hmm. make a good, rational, Mm -hmm. logical case for pro-life is because it's actually right. It's actually true. It's actually supported by Scripture. But we can use non-scriptural arguments in order order to get to that point. No, and I'm definitely 100% on board board with that approach. Like, you don't if you start throwing the Bible at somebody who doesn't believe it is it to support uh to support a, an argument about about abortion it's like yeah you're not gonna get anywhere you might eventually get somewhere but you've got to start all the way with convincing them that the Bible is worth believing in the first place right. <laughs> it's like you've got your your argument's got to start at a completely different place it's kind of like the whole um you know it's it's kind of like, hey, you know what? I think my first uh, discussion about faith with, with with this person that I just met is going to be about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. <laughs> so, it's like, uh, no, that's not where you start. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you consider the fact that there's a lot more people now, uh, especially when it comes to political discourse, that I look at it as as a uh, almost logical, scientific, and What's the word I'm saying? Almost, um, I I can't think of a word, but basically they look at it for at, for at the very like nitty gritty base of what it is. They don't. A lot of people try not to bring in stuff like religion and whatnot because they're trying to apply something to the public with something that should that would generally apply. So when you try coming at it from mm-hmm angles such as religion and whatnot, it can really splinter off who you're talking to because it's like, yep. well, that's not going to apply to everyone because, yeah, Sally, who's currently pro-choice, is a Christian, but Bobby down the road isn't. He's an atheist, so he's not going to buy into anything you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to the, uh, the this strange creature that is called a pro-choice Christian, uh, you can certainly use the bible with them obviously (laughs) and uh and as far as you know when it comes to uh non-christians i've been to the march for life uh, a few times now and there are uh, just this last time there was a science like secular pro-life marching around i don't know how many people there there were but the point is they exist Uh, i remember even uh, the year before i saw a I saw a gaze for life sign. I'm like, ah, cool. <laughs> Welcome to the march, guys. <laughs> you know, and it, it's definitely something that you can, that in particular is something you can work on uh, purely, uh, on purely uh, rational and empirical grounds. Uh, now, before we go, uh, Tamara had a question. Uh, just, and a question is, do you see social justice as the next natural step the false doctrines push such as NAR, I don't know what that means, uh, mysticism and Chrislam, or completely different? Well, I, I believe uh, NAR is going to be the, uh, what is it, the, is that the um, apostolic, the new apostolic reformation, which, which is uh, an, an extreme charismatic movement within Protestantism. Okay. Um, and so basically they believe that their leaders are actual apostles. Um, interesting yeah and a lot a lot of them do have um this sort of uh i i don't know it's almost like we have to establish god's kingdom here on earth in order in order to uh usher in christ to come back and and which which then naturally leads into social justice so so from that perspective i I think i think that does make sense right um yeah so but but yeah i i think i think it is again this is what this is something that has been building and building and building but the thing is traditionally it's been within the political realm Mm -hmm. and so now we're now we're actually seeing it infiltrate into the religious realm Mm -hmm. and i know and i know you're seeing it in in, uh, catholicism we're seeing it in protestantism it's 
it, it's, it's really gaining a foothold. And I think what it's doing is it's, it's going to, what they're trying to do is they're trying to flip the traditional conservative voting block in order to be able to vote progressive and vote liberal and vote Democrat is really what it comes down to. Ain't that the truth? Now, again, uh, before we go with the social injustice book, what are, what's the goal here? What what are what is the main thing you're trying to accomplish? Sure. So so basically, what uh, what it, at first when I was first trying when I was first considering writing this book, I was I, I was going to just tackle it myself, and then I and then I got this idea of let's actually get a bunch of experts in their fields to each take a chapter and tackle each topic. And so, um, so I got 12 different authors and everybody's tackling a different, uh, a different issue. So that, because what I really want to do, like what I was saying before, education is key when it comes to social justice. And so if we can dive in deep with people who actually know what they're talking about, and also a lot of these guys have actually been talking about social justice for over 10, 15, sometimes 20 years, like these guys actually know this stuff inside out. And so, like, I've got uh, Brandon Howes, who's the head of Worldview Weekend. He's tackling the history of cultural Marxism and social justice. Mm-hmm. Paige Rogers, who I know you've, you've had on your show as well, she's mm-hmm. tackling the attacks on the family. I'm tackling um, income inequality. We've got somebody that's, do, that's dealing with the racial issues, with oppression, with illegal immigration, with, you know, all, all sorts of things. But the key right. is to be able to understand these issues and understand why it's wrong, why social justice is wrong. And then uh, my buddy Sam Jones is writing uh, one of the one of the last chapters in the book, which is social justice and the gospel. And because we believe that social justice, because it's redefining sin, it's redefining who victims are and that sort of thing. It's redefining what the gospel actually is. And so if we're if we within the Protestant world believe that believing in Christ is the only way to salvation and that it has absolutely nothing to do with our works. We cannot earn our salvation. It's only by placing our faith in him because he died on the cross for us, paid Mm -hmm. our penalty, rose from the dead. And in that, so we're going to place our faith in him and him alone. And then we're going to follow after him. Clearly social justice is redefining that if it's, if it's creating you as the victim, instead of in all reality, if you're going to use their language, we're the oppressors. We're the, we're oppressing Christ by right. our sin. He's mm-hmm. the victim. Yeah. But but they're twisting it into where we're the victims and he's saving us from somebody else's sin. So that's why it's really important that we do get this right and that we are preaching the the one true gospel and the right gospel. Um and I think that that's why it, this issue is so important. All right. Well, I think that's an excellent note to uh, excellent note to leave on, Jeff. Uh, you wrapped it up very nicely there. Uh, now, as, as we wrap up, where can people find you? Where can people get the book? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter myself. Uh, you can follow me at Jeff the GK. Uh, I've got got the website GatekeepersOnline.com, which is where the podcast network is. So mm-hmm. you can hear. Um, We've pretty much got a po- we've got podcasts coming out Monday to Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. We're eventually going to be coming out pretty much every day with something new. We've got new articles kind of being posted all the time. Um, and then if you'd like, if you're interested in the book, go to uh, socialinjustice.com or socialinjusticebook.com. And you can actually pre-order the book right now. It's going to be actually be coming out later on this summer, but we're taking pre-orders. And, um, and if you put in the code Jeff, uh, you, you can get a free audiobook version. And basically what we're doing is each of the authors that's writing a chapter is going to record the audio version of the book as well. So you can actually hear what they're writing in their own voice, which I think can really help as well. Um, and so, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this project. And, I'm re- and what was funny was that this was really my dream team of authors. Uh-huh. And every single person that I asked said yes. And on top of that, what was funny was that I was offering people a chapter and, you know, I was like, here's the, here's the topics we want to cover uh-huh. and that sort of thing. And then everybody said, I feel so lucky because I got the chapter that I actually wanted. And so it, it totally lined up perfectly. It was a total God thing. Of nice. Every, everybody is dealing with exactly the topic that they wanted to cover. Well, I can't think of anything that's more obviously you know, divided intervention than that. Yeah. <laughs> I can probably think of a couple things, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's, that's pretty clear cut right there. Yeah. So on that note, Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Definitely. Thanks so much and for having me. 
Uh, it, it, it's, it's been a really good time. Actually, I'd love to have you back to discuss who knows what at some in, point in the future. In, uh, any, anytime. I, Just let, let me know what topic and when, and I'll be there. Fantastic. And so go get Social Injustice. Go get the book. Go check out the uh, Gatekeepers Podcast Network. And we'll see you again next week when we've got uh, Barrick the Sarcastic Jew on to talk about being a not completely insane millennial. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, well, a, that they exist. Like pure entertainment <laughs> yes exactly they they exist there are millennials that haven't lost their mind and they're not all on the da daily wire in the blaze i swear <laughs> <laughs> and on uh, and after that uh i'm gonna be gone for a couple of weeks but crystal it will probably still be around with a special uh fill-in co-host that we're working on uh, nailing down. We'll let you know for sure when we know for sure. So until next week, you guys uh, stay good and keep fighting the good fight.